This episode of Chicago's Bravest Stories is brought to you by Sports and Ortho Physical Therapy. So, Steve, I understand you have a Sports and Ortho memory that you'd like to share? I do. Uh, just recently, I actually suffered an injury. It was a chronic injury uh, from uh, firefighting and paramedicking. I tore my shoulder and separated my AC joint right at the beginning of the pandemic. How do you feel right now? I, I feel I feel great. Can you um, lift your hands over your shoulder? I, I, can, I can do all <laughs> of that. But what was crazy was at the time, uh, they weren't doing shoulder surgeries. So I did not know what I was going to do until I was presented with the option of going to sports and orthophysical therapy. So you theoretically could have been out for a long time. I could have been out for a very long time. And I was told that the shoulder surgery I was presented with was going to keep me out a very long time as well. So you would have automatically lost your spot. Yes. And potentially be out for a long time. There'd be a loss of income as well uh, for like overtime and what yeah. have you. Right? Oh yeah, for sure. So what uh, what kind of things did Dahlia have you do? So uh, Dahlia set me up with uh, her, one of her therapists, Claire, Claire from England, uh, and Claire beat me up for three months straight. Well, you had it coming. Steve. <laughs> yeah. I did, but uh, we did all kinds of stretches. I'll tell you what, I've had other injuries where I've went to other facilities outside of the job that I'm currently at, and they did not do the hands-on manipulation, the cupping, the stretching, the massages, the massage machine they were using uh, on me, uh, all sorts of stuff. Needling, Claire did some needling on me, and, and I'll tell you what, that needling, it was like, uh, it, I can't explain it to you, <laughs> but uh, it definitely, like, I could f instantly feel, it was instant gratification when she was doing the needling on me. So how long did it take to get you back? So I did three sessions a week for approximately three months, a little under three months, and uh, I didn't need to have surgery. I rehabbed that shoulder back, and uh, it, it was great. And on top of all of it, I had a thing going on at home where I couldn't be exposed to the virus or multiple people because of the virus, and Dahlia had gone out of her way to schedule me so that I would not have those experiences and I could do a lot of the rehab by myself with Claire. And it, it, she just, Dahlia went above and beyond to accommodate me like she does, and she goes above and beyond for all of her clients. Um, and I'm truly, uh, truly grateful to her and Sports North for Physical Therapy. Well, there you have it. Living testimony by our own Chicago's Bravest Story, Steve. Sports and Ortho, you can look them up on sportsandortho.net. I mean, they got a location everywhere, so... For all you up north, uh, Edison Park for sure, Mount Greenwood for you south. Brand new Oak Lawn, I believe. So sportsandortho.net. Okay, well, welcome to Chicago's Bravest Stories. We have a special roll call for you today. We actually have an in-studio roll call. My guest today is Al Medina from the Chicago Fire Department. Al has a unique position with the Fire Department as he runs the sim lab for the fire department. And it's a sim lab that's actually utilized, you know, and I'll let Al get into that, but thanks for being here, Al. Appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Uh, this is a, a pleasant surprise, actually. <laughs> you were actually coming here to drop off some forms for me, and I kind of put you on the microphone. I thought, you know, hey, why not? not every department has a sim lab, correct? That's right. That's <laughs> so, right. So, you know, I alluded to the fact earlier that 
your sim lab is utilized by other departments and other agencies. I know you got something special going on this uh, this week and next week. What other entities utilize the uh, sim lab? Uh, we have uh, the SWAT team coming in June. Uh, a couple of EMTs um, we're going to have in June. Uh, we're looking for a, to schedule them. We also have, uh, like you mentioned, the FBI coming next week. And uh, we also have UCAN that's going to be doing a uni- uh, uniformed uh, or unified uh, collaboration of uh, triage. And what's UCAN? UCAN is the helicopter, uh, the nurse, the so flight like nurses. The flight medics, the flight nurses. Mm-hmm. They're all going to get their training with you. And I know that the utilization of uh, the Sim Lab has been um, put into place now more than ever with the candidates coming on, especially the paramedics and uh, the firefighters that are coming on the job. Kind of give people who are not familiar with the uh, what a Sim Lab does, uh, kind of run us through what, what the Sim Lab's all about. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we, we try to check a pulse on everyone that comes in, right? Whether they're coming for the fire side or EMS side, we try to check a pulse on them. What I mean by that is where'd they come from? You know, what medic school do they go to? What, what kind of ed- experience do they have? You know, how long they've been a paramedic, uh, things of that nature. And we try to get a, a pulse on them, and then we take them, you know, through skill training. You know, skill training. Um, we could also do, you know, just throw a mannequin in front of them and say, hey, do this to them. But that's not really getting, um, putting them on the hot plate, so to speak. You know, we want to set up the, the ambiance, so to speak. You know, we have a bar. We want to make it more realistic. Yes, Yes, it's not going to be like in a controlled environment like the hospital ERs are. You know, we're going to have it, you know, uncontrolled environment. You know, we have actors, uh, we have mannequins that do multiple things um, that they have to search for where we don't need an instructor on scene. Yeah. I, you know, I know that uh, throughout the years we've had some uh, crazy stories about some because the it's a fine line from reality to uh, your scenarios. Uh, what was the one with the guy with the gun and a candidate? Uh, oh yeah, was with J- J- John, right? Yeah, uh, uh, tell us that story. That, is that the one where he attacked? Uh, yeah, he was. <laughs> yeah, he so, was attacked, and it was the in the in the the setup of the bar. Uh, right? Well, one of them was in there, and one the the other one was in the living room. Okay. So the the scenario is let me set it up. The scenario is uh, there's a mom with a crying baby. She calls because she's seen the baby choking. So that's the setup. But uh, dad find what what happens is the the crews get on scene, and they think and they're candidates, mind you, and they think they got to do, they're trying to do the right thing. Well, they're they're used to the paramedic EMT school type scenarios where you just go in your classroom, you set up, you set a dummy down, and. <laughs> do your assessment and you just regurgitate mm-hmm. what you've learned pre but when you guys when your guys go to the sim lab like set up cuz you have a room for the scenarios that's set up that's a bar you have a bedroom you mm-hmm. have a living room you have a bath like with bathtub and sink and yeah. I, like it is fully furnished if you if somebody just blindfolded you walk in and you would think you were in somebody's house right Correct. It, it is you guys even like hung pictures and everything like yeah. that so when these guys are going through these scenarios, you really are making it as close to real life as you can. So yes. go, on, go on, tell. Yeah, yeah. So uh, uh, we have them. We dispatch them. Like you said, we don't just lay a dummy. Here's your equipment. Go. We dispatch them from our, our uh, 
our modular, which is a in, indoor ambulance. We dispatch them. They bring whatever they need to bring. You know, they want to bring a stretcher. They want to bring a stair chair. Whatever they need to convey and treat, they get there, and it's a crying baby. Mom says, I don't know what's going on with the baby. He wasn't breathing. Obviously, the baby's breathing at that time. Then dad comes in, and he's he's kind of pissed off because she called the ambulance, and now they get into an argument, and it gets a little sticky. And and the dad in this scenario uh, was another paramedic? Yes. Yes, and uh, and he he actually has a gun on him, but they don't know this. And what happens is they he's ignoring the crew. They're trying to calm him down, and they're trying to talk to mom. They're trying to trying to treat the baby. They're trying to do all these things. And at the same time, dad's creeping around the door, and he's now blocking their their egress. Right. Right. So now uh, it's a scene safety issue. Yeah. Now it's a scene safety exactly. And then uh, now they're set up, and now they're like, okay, where do we go from here? And now he starts to argue with them. Dad does with the crews and they don't want to argue because they think that's the wrong thing to do to argue with, with the patient's parents or whatever. And then it gets really heated where he finally pulls out a gun. And in this case, (laughs) many of the candidates would get a little afraid and back off. But uh, one of our candidates uh, actually went to go attack uh, (laughs) the the shooter. And, um, and it it was kind of funny, but uh, not good at the same time because, you know, if that was a real, um, scenario he probably would have been killed yeah um so but yeah. i mean there's your teachable moment right yeah absolutely and uh so you guys abruptly stopped the scenario <laughs> yes. there we, uh i actually uh, it's funny you say that because i was in the control room watching the whole thing on the screens and when i seen that i ran literally <laughs> ran out there ran down the hall and said what are you doing you know and so what what you're talking about is each room is mic'd and cameraed mm-hmm. and you are kind of have overseeing all of this in your control room. It's like a DJ booth, yeah, where you have your your headphones on and you have the the cameras, mm-hmm. uh, the screens to see what's going on in each room, and yeah. you can actually like provide information from your control room to the to the scenario. Yes, and uh, so you were kind of like the eye in the sky for the, the <laughs> scenario. Yeah, um, but I I know that. You have other stories of like these things getting so like close to real life. Yes. That you're freaking people out. Yeah, but, yeah. But for my opinion, I'd rather have people freak out in a sim lab and work it out there, kinda work out the kinks, work out now you're trying to transition what they're gonna do to muscle memory. Yeah. Which is an interesting concept because without the sim lab, you can't really get into that that mindset that I'm not just doing a scenario for paramedic school or EMT school. You know, it's a, it, it transitions you more into what you're going to do for real life. And yeah. you're using the, you're using live equipment. Mm-hmm. You're using, if these guys are pushing a med, you know, they're drawing it up out of a syringe and, yeah. a, and an ampule. And they're actually using the pads and the actual monitor that they yeah. use when you guys do your cardiac scenarios. What other things do you guys do? And you, you had mentioned the uh, inside ambulance. Uh, explain people what that is because that's a cool thing too because for the paramedics especially who uh, are working in an ambulance you're actually in a functioning back of an ambulance that you guys have at the mm-hmm. uh, academy that it's got the captain seat it's got the stretcher it's got yeah. and the cabinets are exactly the way the cabinets are laid out inside these city ambulances so explain that to people. Yeah, so um, and obviously it's a little different than, than an ambulance, the door-wise, because obviously you want to 
uh, see inside there and what they're doing uh, without seeing it like an ambulance where you don't know what, what's going on back there. Um, it's got a camera on there too. It's got a mic yeah. in there as well. Um, it's like the, the, it's got cut in half. Yeah. So you can, it's like a, a stage. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's like the patient compartment. Yeah. You can say, and, uh, it's got telemetry in there, all the channels and everything, just like, uh, you would have it on the ambulance. It also, you, uh, when they call from there, it's actually live, meaning it can go into a control room. Well, they'll get me yeah. as... Um, You're the dispatcher. Correct. This, I, I play actually two roles. I play dispatcher and I play telemetry. Okay. Um, so when they're dispatching on the radio, I'm in the command room. And um, when they're calling the hospital, then I turn into telemetry. Okay. So can anybody... Because, you know, we talked about that you do training for... FBI has come in and they're mm-hmm. going to be coming in this week to do... Um, their uh, their scenarios and their training, and then they're going to be doing ride time with us. What other agencies come by you? Uh, we've had uh, people from all over the world, literally. We have a wall uh, that Pete Lazar started that says uh, EMS all around the world. And we have the Netherlands. Um, they've been coming for the last four to five years. They bring like 80 nurse practitioners. Do, do the Dutch have ALS ambulances? Uh, they do, but they, they have a doctor in there. With every crew? Yeah, with is every it a, crew. Is it a doctor and a medic or a doctor, two it, medics? It's a, it's a doctor, a medic, and, a, and an EMT and oh. or a driver who is nothing. Yeah. So there are potentially four guys on that ambulance? Uh, three. Okay. But the, it, it depends on what that, that driver oh, and the, or EMT. If the driver's trained to that yeah. level or not? Okay. Yeah. But obviously that driver and the EMT is not doing much treatment. Right. Um, it's the medic and the But doctor. he could potentially. Yeah. If he's, yeah. If he's CPR, if he's certified, yeah. I mean, do his compressions, he can. Uh, Australian, uh, they've come there. Uh, their program is pretty interesting because you have to have a bachelor's to be a paramedic. Yeah, and that cha- yeah <laughs> that that changed um, probably three years ago. And the two guys that came over, they're the managers. Are those guys that I met, yes, those, those older fellas, yes, those yes, guys were awesome. Yeah, and they got grandfathered into the program. Did they? So they didn't have to have their bachelor's. Um, so yeah, those two guys from Australia, they were. Do they do they push like? different crazy types of meds or are they almost as basic as we are? I think their medications are different. Nothing too in, uh They're not Portland-like? No, yeah. no. They're, 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 they're just at the bachelor. That's just a prereq. It doesn't mean that they can push more or whatever their SMOs, uh, you know, call for. Okay. What, um, so let's say that you have somebody who uh, uh, can, somebody contact you and say, hey, my department wants to use your sim lab? Yeah. Could they ab- contact you? Absolutely. I mean, uh, they can contact me. I'll talk to our director, and I'll, uh, you know, see if it's if it's okay. Because, you know, Leslie Stein Spencer who and Pete Lazar, who started the sim lab, they've always said is keep our doors open. Keep our door. We're not hiding anything from anybody. You know, we want whatever, whoever wants to come here and whoever wants to, you know, take, if they want to develop their own sim lab or see what kind of training we do, we, um, we keep our doors open to everyone. If we had some EMT programs, we've had Malcolm students there when they were doing their transition from uh, their old school to the new school. So we've had uh, uh, programs like that come through. Uh, so we've had uh, a lot of other departments come through. A uh, couple of chiefs from Wisconsin, they've come down to see how we train just to get an idea because um, they have a big training center up there before fire, nothing for EMS. So they want to see what we did for EMS. 
I kind of jumped into the SimLab stuff, but uh, how many years have you been with the fire department? Uh, it's just, I'm in my 16th year. 16th year? Yeah, nine yeah. furloughs. <laughs> yeah, you, you're nine furloughs. <laughs> Finally. That, that, that's how many years you're on. I'm nine furloughs. Yeah, that's it. What, where did you, like, where did you start with, uh, give us a little bit about your background. Sure. I, I know I just jumped right into it because no, no, when you fine. walked in, I'm like, Hey man, let's, let's talk about <laughs> the simulate. But I, I've kind of like gone completely off script of what we actually do here. So, yeah. Uh, you know, I always like sharing this with the candidates, especially cause, uh, they always think that I got this education that, um, you know, I got my bachelor's, I'm a nurse, I'm all this, but you know, I was an uneducated kid. Um, you know, I didn't get my GED till I was 30 years old. You know, and I went to EMT school the next year. And and I went to paramedic school a year and a half after that. And I wanted to be a firefighter uh, initially. But as time went on and as EMS started to eat away at me, I was like, you know what? I'm going to be a paramedic. I'm going to stay a paramedic. And uh, I got hired three weeks after paramedic school at Elmhurst Fire Department. And uh, it was great there. I loved it there. Um, had some great, great calls there that I that are still really, you know, stick to my head. And I was there for two years, and I was on the city's list. And then uh, within those two years, they called me. And, you know, if Elmer's was paying well, I would have stayed. Yeah. You know, uh, not because of the call volume, but just because um, it mentally it was great. It was nice being on that schedule where you were with the same guys. Correct. And you had your own shift. And yep. it gets comfortable out there. Yeah. Gold shift. That's what we were, fire yeah. and EMS. That's what I was on. And it was actually really great. Uh, like again, uh, just wasn't paying well. Yeah. Uh, once the city made that call, you know, I was in, um, I left and, um, been there, been in the cities ever since I was a PIC. I took it after about two and a half years, close to three years, been a PIC ever since 2008. Who was your first partner? Uh, Margie Bombin. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, that, and Margie was married to one of our previous guests here, Danny, went, uh, on the Danny and Jimmy episode. Yeah. We had a few whiskeys yeah. <laughs> that day. So. I, you know, I thank her for talking to Dan, uh, getting me on the bike team. Yeah? Yeah. So that was, I, I was, you know, nudging, even though I was a candidate, you know, and that, that, that memo came out when the first time they started it yeah. uh, in 06, I was like nudging her, nudging her, and she goes, I'll talk to Danny, I'll talk to Danny. Um, and it took me about a year, but and I, and I knew they had a crew already, which was fine. Um, but uh, it was great that, um, you know, they gave me a shot. That was Back then, it was one of those who you knew type of, yeah, exactly. th- type of details, right? Yeah, it was. But th- it was a badass. That was a badass oh, You wanted detail. to be part of it. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm. that's why I am 100% um, loving how open it is now and that, you know, we have complete transparency and anybody who, with a medical license can come out and do it. And that, that's actually why you, you came, came down today. <laughs> you had some forms to drop off because we start our bike team training on Monday. Yeah. By the time people listen to this, there will already be people who have been <laughs> going through that uh, bike team course. Right. Right. You and Margie are working. Yeah. Uh, any, anything do you, that stands out to you from your very first day? Uh, you know, I went to Little Village. I was in Ambulance 34. Where you spent most of your time there, right? Yeah, well, I spent before I took the, the PIC, yeah. and I and I and I was south uh, for those first two to three years. And thirty four was those guys were great. Number one in the house, and I know there's a lot of companies that are great, but those guys, each shift, they were together. It was kind of it was kind of like um, rare because each shift had th- their guys were like ten years plus each one of them. Yeah, so they've been together that long, five guys on each shift, and I was just like, this is amazing, um, you know. And they 
they were just great guys. I loved it there. I was at the old house, by the way. Yeah, I think Mike Manchester was talking about that, and when he got there, he, <laughs> he, he the guy who when he finally got there, the guy he, uh, the next junior guy when he showed up, he was like so happy because he didn't have to carry the pumpkin. He's like, I've been carrying this thing for twenty years, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it was definitely a uh, seniority place. Yeah, seniority type. You couldn't go there five, ten years on. You had to have some time as far as a firefighter goes. Yeah, I probably seen more. Most of my fires. I was on that ambulance. I've probably seen, not kidding you, uh, at least 15 rolling fires. Yeah. You know, uh, so it was, it was good there. So you were there for two, three years. You got mm-hmm. the, did you apply? Did you put your name on the list? I did, uh, only because I got on late. I got on when I was 39. Yeah. And I felt like, you know, um, if it was up to me, I would have stayed at FPM for at least five years, um, you know, just to get my feet wet, you know. And, but, you know, since I, I didn't have that time to like, well, if I do it for five and I'll be 45, 44 years old, let me take the promotion and see what happens. Yeah. I didn't know I was going to get called that soon. Um, to be honest, I'll, I'll be transparent. I, I didn't think I was ready, um, but only because of the actions of things of the calls I was on, but um, never got suspended <laughs> <laughs> or never got caught, I should say. But uh uh, you know, but it, it was a it was a learning it was definitely a learning uh, learning curve and uh, maybe better. Um, you know, I had to know my first call or my first can I say my first time I acted up. I wasn't a PIC yet. Okay, uh, was with Tom Simich and he was a candidate. Okay, <laughs> and uh, we had zero on our K tank in day one when we walked <laughs> in. Uh, we had state inspections. I don't know if you remember state inspections. Uh-huh. Uh, they were like two hours long. And uh, they went through everything with a fine-tuned coat. That, fine-tuned was, that coat. was the worst, right? Yes. When yes. you saw that it landed on your shift, yes. it was the worst. <laughs> it was. And, uh, you know, I had the state inspection. Me and Tom had two traumatic arrests and a cardiac arrest that day. That was my first have you day. Ever know, have you ever met Tommy before that day? No. Well, no. well I knew who he was because yeah. uh, back then, I don't think it's, I don't know how it is now. I haven't been on the street, but we were tripled up. I had Sergio. um, uh, who was one of the original on the bike team? Yeah. He was there before me. Then I got there, and then Tom Simmons got there, and they moved him. Then they moved his shift finally. But we were tripled up. That's a, that's how I got booted out, because uh, um, uh, Sergio left, and then it was me there, and then Tom was doubled up, and Tom moved, and then I left uh, the ambulance. Well, we'd like to thank Illuminated Brew Works for sponsoring this podcast. Thanks, Brian, for the generous donation of craft beer, including Trust, Creeper, Peanut Butter Pony, Astronaut Juice. And what else we got there, Corey? We got, uh, we got Orange Sunshine, too, which is a really, really nice. I'm, I'm not a big fruity beer guy, and, like, this is just a really nice, like, like orangey, like, summer beer. It's going to be your new summer beer for sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm, again, it, it, it's, it's awesome. Um, and Brian's also got some cool stuff going on over by his, uh, over by the brewery. They're actually opening up, uh, what do they call it? Brew Pub. Yeah, yeah. So he's going to pretty much have his own bar there, which would be awesome. Definitely check that out. That's up on the northwest that, side. 6186 North, Northwest Highway, uh, right next to Wine Styles, which is next door. And you can pick up any of these craft beers there. You can pick them up at Binnie's now, Norwood Park, Wine and Spirits, Beer Temple, Bottle and Cans, Capone's, Toto's, and Rayans. 
Um, yeah, uh, again, it's just cool to see that this beer is getting so much attraction that uh, other people are grabbing it too. Um, and uh, and yeah, while he's while he's doing that work, I mean, this guy doesn't stop working. While this guy's like building a new a bar for all intents and purposes, this guy's making a brand new uh, brew too, right? What's the uh, name of that one? It's called Brony Double Hop IPA. If you're in the IPAs, uh, this is the one that uh, is coming back and is been. It's been in pretty high demand, so Brony is coming back for all you Illuminated Brewworks people. And uh, you can follow them on Facebook, Instagram, and uh, at the very least, take a look at the artwork on these cans. It's uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah, they're pretty cool. My, I mean, we, we do all this mustache talk. We got the Screeper can. <laughs> this thing's awesome. Um, so, again, make sure to check out Illuminate Brewworks and um, find out as much as you can about these guys. And definitely give it a try because you're, you're not going to stop once you give it a go. have a couple years there when you uh took the promotion you went back to you went back to 34 no i didn't i uh i mean i went there as a as a as a reliever, re- as a reliever. Yeah. um i stayed south for a little bit then i came up north and um and i was relieved for eight years so i've worked with over a hundred partners easily a hundred um you know and you know has the pic as a PIC. Um, so as a paramedic in charge, you're just going from different firehouse to different yeah. firehouse. Got it. And that was back in the day where we had all of the bunker gear. Yes. And, I mean, so if you're traveling, you had a ton of shit to carry. Yes. And that's what sucked about relieving that. Yeah. Back now, relieving is not has. I mean, relieving sucks no matter what, but it was even worse back then because yes. you had a shit ton. Because you had to have your bedding, <laughs> a, a change of uniform, yeah. whatever. Your boots and yeah. All yeah. your stuff. But, yeah. you know, it, I got so good at packing it that it was so small. I know guys were carrying those hockey bags. Yeah. And they were, like, you know, hum- humongous. And I had it down to a science, man. I even used to ride my bike with a with a trailer. Yeah. And I used to put it in there. You know, if I was, like, 5 to 10 miles out from the firehouse I was going to, I'd ride my bike there, put everything in that trailer, and I'd go to firehouses. And then, you know, because I didn't want to drive my car 7 miles. You know, I'd rather ride my bike. Yeah, why not? So... Uh, all right. So you, uh, you, you're relieving. Did you get a spot as a PIC before you uh, came down? Um, well, I got mandatory assigned to ambulance 50. Okay. I think that's <laughs> the only way people actually get assigned to 50 yeah. is you get, yeah, no one, no one chooses it. Right. Yeah. So in, in the city of Chicago, if they have a spot that nobody wants to go to and it remains open, you're allowed to pass it up twice. For the pass it up in two orders before you get mandatory. Oh, well, I I went eight years and uh, and I was putting in, I was putting it in spots and and but if that but the spot hadn't been, what's the what's the the order here? Like if that passed on it twice or it it basically passed you up twice, and then you got mandatory, right? I don't know how I got mandatory to be honest. Okay, it was just one day I got I got a call from the field chief uh, to turn in my my airport badge. Yeah. And you're heading south. And I was like, what? And it, and it mandatory is by seniority, so the lowest man on the totem pole. Yeah, it must have been me. Yeah. <laughs> so and it's, a, it's a rough spot. Like, some people like it. If you've ever worked down there, and for people listening who aren't familiar with the city, it's an area of the city where there's a ton of courtyard buildings. <laughs> so you're going you're gonna to pull up, and you got to walk a long way just yes. to get to the building where this person's at. Yeah. And that doesn't include the conveyance to get them out of that building and then 
wheel them all the way back. Yeah. It's it's a long day. <laughs> it's a really long. And it's not a slow spot by any means. No, it's not. Uh, um, but I do think, if I can mention him, uh, Ed Joseph. Yeah, of course you can. You know, Eddie Joseph was, uh, you know, he'd been out, I think, at that time, maybe two years at that time. He was the FPM there. Uh, great to get around. I mean, you know, I didn't know. I, I mean, all I knew was 730 in Kingston. That's all I knew. You know, southeast side. And um, if it wasn't for him, I mean, if you're a medic, you're a medic. You can be a medic anywhere. But as far as getting around, I mean, he knew the ins and outs. He knew the cul-de-sacs. He knew where cut off at the trains. Uh, he knew where the angle streets were. Uh, so that's a definite plus with uh, with Eddie. So I thank him for that. Um, you know. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to thank Eddie about. He's, what, let's plug his uh, Facebook group. What, oh, what's his Facebook group called? Um, I, I don't know. Ambulance League 70. of EMS what Professionals? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that a new group. Is? Yeah, the, uh, that's, I don't know, something like that. Yeah. I, I and he's is. an alumni for our podcast two podcasts ago. Oh, really? Chavez, uh, they're all at that. Uh, oh, yeah, Ambulance 77. Yeah, they're both from uh, Engine 38's house. Yeah. So he, there's a bunch of celebrities over there. <laughs> there is. <laughs> I know. I wish they would have had an ambulance when I was on 34 there. We ran with 38 all the time. 16th yeah. Street, we were there after midnight all the time because yeah. obviously no ambulance was there. You got to 50, and that's when – how did this how did this transition go down because i we've had pete lazara on the show here and we didn't really get into too much about the simulator because okay he had such a storied history like oh yeah we couldn't even keep up you know it, everything led to another pete lazara story and you know <laughs> when you talk about the man the myth legend like he's the man that's that's pete lazara right there yeah absolutely so we didn't even <laughs> we didn't even get to the fact that he uh helped develop this whole sim lab thing yep so Pete gets promoted. They don't allow him to stay in that position at that rank. So how does the transition go to get Al Medina down there? Well, I was coming back to the street. Um, this is actually a, a pivotal moment in my career where I was coming back to the street and um, I had a, an arrhythmia, right? And I was still going to come back because I wanted to put my pride out there. I'm like, this is not going to stop me. I'm going back. So you were, ha you were having a, like a heart issue yeah what was it it was uh, a fit with an rvr um so at 210 so your your heart was not beating at a regular rhythm and it was going super fast super fast which <laughs> one of the the side effects for that could be a stroke yeah it could, could be, be all kinds yeah. of stuff you could go into an arrest yeah and what made you how did you get diagnosed with that? Were you feeling shitty? Well, what, what was going on with you? The funny thing is I took a vacation because I was in training at that time. I took a vacation. I was going to go back on the street. And when I came back from my vacation, literally, uh, we came back from Minnesota. I remember my daughter saying, hey, put the tape in. Let's not put our stuff away. Let's, let's look at our, our GoPro um, footage on uh, zip lining. So I was like, yeah, this could wait. We went there, and uh, I started playing it, and I started feeling a little fluttered. In my chest, I didn't think nothing out of it. That maybe he thought it was a PVC, and then um, it kept coming and going. And then I started getting a little lightheaded, started getting nauseous, and I was like, "Oh boy, something's going on." So I told my daughter, "Keep watching this. I'm gonna walk around a little bit, drink some water." Um, we're the worst patients, as you know. Oh, one hundred percent. I was in denial, and uh, all of a sudden, I just said, "I'm gonna pass out. I don't want my kids to see this." I called. I told my wife. I gotta leave. I gotta leave. I gotta leave. And now. You're you're in Minnesota. No, no. Just I had just walked in the back of my. We just drove back six hours oh. drive from Minnesota, 
And I, instead of unpacking, my daughter wanted to see the footage. Oh, you, so you had made it back home. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, and it was an easy drive. Nothing, yeah. no accidents, no nothing. It was, you know, nothing not, not out of the ordinary. And uh, I grabbed the keys and my wife was on the phone. She didn't think I was serious. And I walked out and I was in the car and then she brought my kids with. And I'm like, what's going on here? So I was like, I got to go to the hospital like right now. She goes, where do you want to go? I go, I'm, I'm going to Northwestern. So I, I was about to drive, but I, as I know, I worked at uh, Community First for six years in the ER. I go, but there's always ambulances there. I want to just hook myself up to the monitor to see what's going on. So Dave Doherty, bless him, bless him. Dave's a good guy. So I, you you drove to <laughs> a hospital that you knew CFD ambulances were going to be there. Yes. You found somebody you knew and said, hook me up to your monitor. Well, I actually hooked myself up. Yeah. <laughs> I told him, open the door. and open the back door. I, he opened it. I jumped in. They're still in the front did, compartment. Did you, did you tell Dave what was going on? Did no. You, you did it? You just said <laughs> No, I slept. Uh, well, we came back there, and he didn't know what was going on. And my my mind you, our ve- my vehicle was parked right in front of his ambulance. Like, just like a, like a cop pulling over somebody yeah. in front of him. And uh, I, I hooked all the leads up to me. I turned it on. I looked at it. Dave walks in the side door. He goes, what's going on, Al? And I go, hey, whose rhythm is that? <laughs> <laughs> Talk about denial. And it's like 210. He goes, he looked at me. He goes, that's yours. And I'm like, I go, uh, I, un- I took all the leads off. And I'm about to walk out the ambulance. He slams the door and locks it. And he goes, you ain't going anywhere. <laughs> he goes, I've worked with you before. I know, you, I, I know who you are. You do the same thing to me. I'll take you to the hospital. I'm not going to get you back in with your wife and family. He wasn't going to take you to community first, which you were there. He, well, I didn't want to go there. <laughs> but you, he closed the door because he was taking you to where you wanted to go. Correct. Okay. Correct. Well, we still had to get approval. Yeah. And we did. Uh, now, mind you, we're in the back of the, you know, right. the bay. And I and we, we left. I was stable. It was weird because when I was slow down to 120 on my rate, and I was fine. But then it would shoot up to 180s, 190s, and that's when I felt nauseous. felt like garbage. Yeah. And... um uh, Chris Perry was a candidate at that time, and uh, he's starting the IV. And on that's me. Uh, Dave's partner at the time. At the time, yeah. yeah. So he's starting up. He's starting the IV on me, and he pulls out a twenty gauge. How nerve wracking is that? <laughs> yeah, he still got his his Does shirt on. Was Chris down there when you were in the academy? I was one of his instructors. Yes. Okay, so <laughs> so now here's Chris Perry, and one of his instructors had just walked in the back of his ambulance. He's a candidate, and now he's got to work on an instructor who's got AFibar yeah. VR. Yeah, and he's got to start an IV on him. <laughs> and, he, and he had the he had the best line of the night. I say he starts the IV, and I go, "Are you really going with a twenty gauge?" And he goes, "Yeah, because you were one of the good instructors." <laughs> so I was like, "Good answer." And uh, you know, put me on oxygen, drove me to the hospital, uh, went to Northwestern. Um, I felt fine when we got there, and they're like, "Hey, what's going on now?" You know, all the doctors and nurses they 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 knew who I was, and they go, "Is this a real run?" And I go, "Yeah, it's for me." I'm a, right. Well. If this had been five years later, they'd been like, oh, this is a really good scenario. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Jesus, Al, this is, you really <laughs> lifelike on this. You yeah. got your heart rate to look like AFib RVR. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they're like, hey, you know, this is, what, you got that rhythm generator? Where's that at? <laughs> yeah. Where's that mannequin at? That's good stuff. And they, yeah, they, they took me in and they, they wanted to, they wanted to synchronize cardio over at me. I was just going to ask you, I'm like, yeah. But you didn't. You weren't altered. You, nope. you kept your blood pressure and yeah. all that. So that was the only thing keeping them from shocking you. Well, and me, and you. I told them. Well, uh, that's that would be part of the the criteria that you would be altered. It. You yeah. Know? Right. Or uh, hemodynamically unstable. Right. Yeah. So they no want, blood pressure, no no mental status. Right. You were perfectly fine except for what they were looking at the heart rate, and yeah. it, it's a. 
you know, it's a testament to treat the patient, not the rhythm in this in this instance, right? Absolutely. So did they push meds on you then? They did. They gave me uh, cartas. They gave me a bolus of cartazem. Um, it slowed it down. I was still in AVID, but it got rid of the RVR, which was fine. And then, which which for people who don't know what that means, and you know, I'll have to look it up too. But rapid ventricular response. Correct. That means like his heart. It's just not the little, the little chambers in your heart going fast. It's the big chambers Correct. in his heart going fast. Correct. So uh, it, it, it's it's pretty it's a pretty significant yeah. rhythm that you were in. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and and obviously mentally, I was shot. I wasn't a paramedic at that moment. Yeah. You know, I was like, uh, you know, the old crap moment. Like, what's going on here? Yeah. Uh, so they gave me cardiac. I knew, I knew what their protocol was. I knew I was going to stay there. I'm a cardiac patient now. I knew I had to stay for observation. They checked everything. You know, is he obese? Is he a smoker? Is he? You know, I didn't meet any of the criteria uh, for that rhythm. And they gave any, me the, any family history. No, my 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 mother, uh, God bless them. The, my mother and father. You know, my dad just celebrated a birthday. He's 86. No heart disease. My mom is 84, no heart disease. And um, hey, they checked my adrenaline uh, glands to see if maybe something was firing. That that there was nothing there. Uh, took a stress test the next morning. Didn't sleep well. But um, it's funny because my heart rate was still in 120s at 3 in the morning. Uh, felt fine, though. And uh, three, 6 o'clock in the morning, I, can't, I went to go use the bathroom. I came back to my bed, and the nurse pulls the drape. The, the curtain back and says, guess what? And I go, I converted. And she goes, how do you know? Because I felt so relaxed. Really? And I started feeling my pulses. And I go, this is normal. And then she comes in. I don't know who was more excited, her or me. And she goes, uh, how did you know? And she goes, when did you convert? I go, I don't know, about 6 in the morning. She looks. She goes to the tele monitor and pulls it where I was in V-fib and, and sees the conversion. You went into V-fib? I mean, uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> A-fib. Okay. I was like, damn, I, 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 speak, I, I, I speak that all the time, you know, every week. I, I'm, used, I'm used to saying it. Right. <laughs> uh, it was AFib. She sees it, she sees it convert into normal sinus at, at 62. I just, I remember that as clear as day. I told Just her, with the medicine. Just with the medicine. I, so they told me I converted on my own. If I didn't convert by seven, they were going to cardiovert me. That was Did, the was deal there I had with the doctor. Was there any talk of ablation for you or anything like no. that? No. Not even an option. It, it they were going to uh, watch me for like six months to see where I was at. I was going to wear a, a halter yeah. just to see, you know, if anything's going on. Ever since, that was in 2015, and I've been in normal sinus ever since. Really? Yeah. You've never had an issue like... I mean, I've had um, uh, PVCs. Sure. Uh, PACs. Uh, sometimes I'll have a day if I'm stressed out, I feel it, that I'll get like PVCs going. Yeah. But, you know, once I just chill out and... You know, relax. Uh, I get rid of them. You're not on any daily medication, or anything? I am on uh, on a beta blocker, and um, that's been reduced significantly. So I'm I'm on a benign um, dose now. Yeah. And uh, have, hopefully in the next year, that's my next step is to get off that. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, yeah. thank God you made it home. Yeah. You know, it's and, weird how that the timing. Yeah. And uh, God bless Dave Doherty. Yeah. For standing up to you. And the chief who approved it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, who, who, was, who was working that day? I don't know who was working um, that day. Um, but I know I, I it might have been, was O'Connell still on? Who, Jimmy? Back yeah. Then? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It might have been O'Connell because I, I remember Dave saying the name. Yeah. And then I was just like, I was like, oh, okay, we're in good hands. You know, <laughs> we're good, good, an good answer. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so going back to my transition, I, w I, I took that vacation because I was going to hit the street again. Yeah. 
and then that happened, and then uh, obviously I was laid up. And in the meantime, Leslie was, um, if uh, if I could say this right, she was she was drafting me. You know, she had talked to Rebecca, Pete, and and Michelle uh, uh, Knockman about, hey, you know, what do you think of Al coming over here? Blah blah blah. Had no clue this was going on, and um, and then and then she asked me, hey, do you want to come over here? And I'm like, well, I'm going back to the street, you know. And uh, I didn't, I felt like I didn't want this to stop me. You know, so I was like, I'm, I'm going back to the street. This ain't going to, you know, right. one of those things. And uh, as I was laid up, it gave me time to think. And I started asking around, you know, and they're like, hey, man, if you got an opportunity to stay 40 hours, do it. You know, the streets are always going to be there. They're not going to change. And uh, I think the one guy that finally that the straw that broke the camel's back with my decision was I seen uh, um, Dempsey um, at Mariano's. And I'm buying food there. He's buying food. And, and we talk about it. And he goes, if I were you, Al, you know, your health comes first. If, uh, you know, again, he said he gave me that same line. Streets are not going to go away. You come back next year, they're going to be there. You come back in five years, still going to be there. Yeah. He go, and uh, I sat down with my wife, had a heart to heart. And she's like, you know, do what you feel is comfortable. And I, I said yes to Leslie. And then um, I was there maybe six months before Pete left. So I'm at the Mark Division. I felt intimidated because I consider myself, you know, a street medic, not an educator. Right. Never looked at myself as an educator. And I think Leslie's seen something in me. Um, and I was only with Pete in the Sim Lab for like two months, two to three months. And, you know, him, he's, that guy's got so many things going on that I was trying to catch up with him that I'm like, I don't even know how to turn this mannequin on, let alone run a class. And when he got promoted, he was gone. It wasn't like, oh, well, he's got to stay to train now. It was like, you got your promotion, you're out. And then uh, Leslie said, you know, I'm, 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 I'm going to have you as um, the director of simulation. Is that okay? And she sat down with Patty Wood as well. And, uh, and I go, man, there's other people that's qualified. You know, why me? And um, she goes, oh, I, I believe you're the one that can take over and take care of this even when I'm gone. So I was like, okay. And that's how that happened. Went through a lot of tough times. Um, teaching wise, setting up classes, running mannequins. Um, is there a is there an actual class that you have to take to be able to educate in a sim lab? Uh, we are. It's funny you say that. Uh, as we speak, we are putting out a class for our instructors now to have. But their, when you came on, there, oh, was, there no, was nothing no, like that. There was nothing like that. You were just kind of thrown into it, being like, "Hey, yeah, get this program afloat." Yep. And I went. I went through that mode of. Uh, Hey, didn't Pete Lazar? Didn't Pete Lazar? And then sure. I, I, I said, all right, I'm, I got to give them a story. I got to give them a story. You should have got a name tag that says, I am not Pete Lazar. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did give them this, though. I go, you guys know who Michael Jordan is? I don't know if I ever told you this. I go, and they're like, um, yeah, of course. Everyone knows Michael Jordan. I say, all right, well, he's retired now. And they're like, yeah. I go, well, who took his place? And they're like, no one did. And they, I go, well, there was 12-man rosters in the NBA there was 11 when he left. Somebody, they had to fill the spot. And they're like, we don't know. And I go, well, I'm that guy. <laughs> and I go, you know, I, no one could replace Jordan. No one could replace Pete. So I, and it was actually the player is for you guys uh, for trivia. It was Pete Myers. Was it Pete Myers? Yeah. Nice. It was Pete Myers. All right. Yep. All right, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm that Pete. <laughs> I'm not the Pete Lazaro, but I'm uh, Pete Myers. <laughs> Thanks for being here, Al. Uh, thanks for yeah. <laughs> thanks for dropping off those forms for me. <laughs> Anything like you see the candidates come see you at some point in their academy. Every single one of them, 
Uh, any advice for these guys who are coming on now? I know there's a class in there right now. They just is, graduated. Well, the, the they got firefighters in there now. Oh, they got, yeah, they just started. Uh, yep. But the medics literally got done on Friday. Mm-hmm. Or thir- Thursday. They graduated they, Friday. Yeah, they, they got done Thursday, graduated Friday, and they'll be starting their first day Sunday, right? Correct. So uh, any any advice? Oh, you know what? There was one thing that I remember. It's it's funny that what sticks in your mind, but you you were talking to Pete when you were talking about going down to the sim lab, and Pete gave you a piece of advice about why you should do it because you know you were like, um, you know, I want to like teach other people and stuff like that. And Pete said something to you. I don't know if you remember, but you told me Pete said. If you want, to, you can help more people down here in this position than you can, like, just teaching a candidate who comes and rides with you. Or, Absolutely. Or teaching a brand-new partner. He's like, you can reach more people. Yeah. Absolutely. Is, is that a story I'm remembering correctly? He said that, and yes. And also he said, make it yours. Make it yours. Don't be me. You know, don't try to, you know, mimic him or copy him. Because there's only one Pete, right? And uh, there's going to be one Al. And, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, you can reach candidates and, and I get, I get, I I get blamed for giving my phone number out too much to candidates too. Why not? A candidate doesn't mean nothing to me. Not when I first came down there as an instructor, it's, it's actually swayed a little bit, a lot different. I actually love the candidate. I really do. Um, I want them to succeed number one, and I want them to be, go out there to be two things, competent and confident. You know, once they do that, um, you know, I I got before I came here, I got three text messages, two from my formal uh, candidates and one from a now and, uh, you know, asking for advice. And and I told them, you know, my number's there for that reason. You know, I take the patch off. It doesn't mean nothing. This is a heart to heart. It doesn't go anywhere. Uh, whatever you need, I'll help you. From personal experience, can attest to the fact that and you know this for a fact because I do it all the time. I'll call you. I'll have a run or I'll have something yeah. and I'll call you and be like, Hey, Al, did something change here? Or I just had this. Yeah. What, what's the, give me the, what the actual textbook way to do this is walk me through this. I, I've done that to you pretty much since I hit the street. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and I love it because it, it's, you know, the ones that not only, not only call me or call someone else, those are the ones that, those are the good medics. You know, those are the, the ones that hide it, you know, you're only going to keep digging a bigger hole for yourself. And you got to reach out. I always say that the Sim Lab is not mine's. The Sim Lab is the department. It's the members. You got to come down there. Every candidate and every promotion, whether you're commander or AC, I always said, when you want to come down here and you feel like you're not comfortable with something, you know, call me up. And um, if I'm open, I'll give you a day when you're off and we'll go over whatever you need. No one has to know. Yeah, I mean, I want people, if you're listening to this, and especially if you work for our department, if you have trouble with anything. Anything. You'll bring them down. You could even bring them down on duty sometimes if yeah. you can, you know, yes. swing I- it. And let's say, like, it was a situation that I had where I called down. And I was like, hey, I could not intubate this this child for nothing. I got brought down, and they're like, walk me through this. You know, what? show me the equipment you use. You know, what issues were you having? What angle were you... It was very informal. It was just, hey, let's get to the the root of the problem. Yeah. Let's see what what hung you up. S- super super informal. They, all you wanted to do was get the education in, and 
if there was something that needed to be changed or fixed or whatever, that's 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 a great place to figure that out. Yeah. But uh, don't be afraid to reach out to you, man. You know, uh, like you said, that you're there for these guys, right? I'm, I'm there for for the 20 year member, for the candidate, for the one day. Um, I'm there. I'm. Ne- I'll never, you know, put anybody down. You know, like I said, that the instructor from day one, the instructor that I am today. Um, there's a lot of people out there uh, that 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 um, played a role though where I'm at. You know, like I said, the Pete's, the the Leslies, um, Patty Wood, Mar- even Margie Bombin, my first partner. She she uh, she had me doing the journal the first day. She had me <laughs> the, doing the tough book the first day. Yeah. She had me doing inventory the first day. Um, and, and I thought that was normal, you know, but then I go to other ambulances and I'm like, Oh, okay. Um, but again, she, uh, you, we used all the tools in, in, the in that, on that ambulance. We used all the tools. Yeah. And, um, I was like, Oh, this is good. Um, so yeah, there was a lot of, a lot of people that, uh, played a role to where I'm at today. Well, thanks for being on buddy. Oh, I, uh, you, you and I go way back. We've, yeah. Uh, we've been out at the Academy. We've been on the bikes together. We, uh, yep. You're kind of screwing me this year by not. <laughs> so for those of you listening, uh, Al's been one of the instructors down at the bike team, and uh, he's uh, he's chose to be with the FBI instead of his uh, MMRT brothers. But that's all right. We'll yeah. uh, we'll work around you. Yeah, I, won't, I, I promise it won't happen again. I am I am a little uh, bummed about that. A lot of bummed, I should say. And, and you had a good streak there, man. How many yeah. years straight doing that detail with us? Well, I've been on the bike team since '07, yeah. and we were forty hours, and then and then. But with you, yeah, we've been uh, right before Danny left. Right before Danny left, you know, when he handed it over to you, you know, that was. What four or five years ago, easily. You know, we were at the Quinn, we were at the high school. We were, we've we've changed venues, yeah. but the the uh, it's gotten better because of you, to be honest. Oh, and thanks, it, buddy. it has. It, it's gotten better. I always follow your lead. I mean, I know you asked me for advice, but I always follow your lead because I know what you want this to be. Yeah, I my goal for the bike team is the same as your goal with the simlab. I just want these guys to be prepared and be good. Yeah, you know, and, and have that confidence that. They can make a, a run on that bike, and when they get there, they're going to kick ass. You yeah. know, th- all these guys on the bike team are awesome. Good. Yeah, you the know? same the guys that you had, uh, th- those guys, it's game on with them. It's, yeah. That's good. Yeah, they're like hungry animals looking for, <laughs> you know, <laughs> looking for victims yeah. to save, you know. These yeah. guys are awesome. I love it. Uh, well, thanks again, Al. Uh, no appreciate problem. it. And if anybody wants to reach out to you, can they reach you somewhere? Yeah. Um, they can email me or call me. All right. What's your email? Um, by, why don't you give me your city email? That all right, way. albert.medina at cityofchicago.org. Um, and even if you get a number, if you get, I guarantee you, there's over 600 minutes that have my number easily. <laughs> That's easily. Um, and if you're a department listening and you know you want to get in contact with Al and talk about uh training up some of your guys or maybe come schedule a visit at the Sim Lab and see what uh, kind of program they're running down there. Uh, reach out to uh, that email, and I'm sure you're going to get uh, Al uh, getting back in contact with you real soon. So, again, Chicago's Bravest Stories. Uh, this was Roll Call with Al Medina. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate you. Yep. Be safe. Bye. This has been a Fire and Iron Media production. You have something to say, people want to listen. How's that, Daddy? 
The opinions and views are that of Chicago's bravest stories and their guests. They do not necessarily reflect the views of any municipal governments, fire protection districts, fire departments, EMS, or law enforcement organizations.